The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. It is a great joy this third Sunday of Easter to greet you here from the nave of Marsh Chapel. Whether you are sitting here, present with us in the nave at 735 Commonwealth Avenue, whether you are listening live over radio signals at WBUR 90.9 FM across New England, or listening globally over the internet at WBUR.org, we welcome you here this morning. We would note this morning that preaching our service is Liz Douglas, our Chapel Associate for LGBTQ Ministry, and we bear greetings on behalf of Dean Hill as he is away this week, but will be back for next Sunday. Let us stand as we are able in the praise of God.
Let us pray. O God, whose blessed Son made himself known to his disciples in the breaking of bread, open the eyes of our faith that we may behold him in all his redeeming work, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Please be seated. In this Easter season, we invite you to consider once again this week how we might live in right relationship with God and with one another as the choir sings our traditional Kyrie. Dearly beloved, we remember that as we seek right relationship with God and one another, if we confess our sins, God, who is faithful and just, will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thanks be to God. A lesson from the first epistle of St. John, chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. See what love the Father has given us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now. What we will be has not yet been revealed. What we do know is this, when he is revealed, we will be like him, for we will see him as he is. And all who have hope in him purify themselves, just as he is pure. Everyone who commits sin is guilty of lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he was revealed to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him sins. No one who sins has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Everyone who does not, or everyone who does what is righteous, what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please join me in saying verses from Psalm 4 with the antiphon. Thank you. 
Answer me when I call, O God, of my night, of my right. You gave me room when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. How long, you people, shall my honor suffer shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? But know that the Lord has set apart the faithful for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. When you are disturbed, do not sin. Ponder it on your beds and be silent. Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. There are many who say, oh, that we might see some good. Let the light of your face shine on us, O Lord. You have put gladness in my heart more than when their grain and wine abound. I will both lie down and sleep in peace. For you alone, O Lord, make me lie down in safety. Let us stand as we are able for the singing of the Gloria Patri and the reading of the Gospel. Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to St. Luke chapter 24 verses 36 through 48. Glory, Glory to you, O Lord. While they were talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and terrified and thought they were seeing a ghost. He said to them, Why are you frightened and why do doubts arise in your hearts? Look at my hands and my feet. See that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. 
While in their joy there was disbelieving and still wondering, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures, and he said to them, Thus it is written, that the Messiah is to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins is to be proclaimed in the, his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Please be seated. During the university's winter break just a few short months ago, normally the time to take a deep breath and relax after the busyness of the fall semester, I instead found myself reflecting on the theological implications of eschatology, pneumatology, Christology, and soteriology, to name a few, which in layman's terms are the studies of the end times, the Holy Spirit, Christ, and salvation. I was getting ready to enter the final phase of my ordination process and preparing for an important meeting in the spring, which required me to write a theology paper to submit to my ordination committee for review. As I began writing, I thought, how hard can this be to write what I believe and think about my faith and practice? Yet summing up my beliefs into one paper was no easy task. I went through draft after draft while working closely with my advisor. He pushed me to consider new angles and to be sure not to leave any loose ends, lest my committee find reason to ask me difficult questions. Panic was soon my motivating force for finishing the paper. I worked intently on crafting a well-written defense of my beliefs in order to prove I had all the right answers and could articulate them intelligently and thoughtfully. I had never so deeply pondered the technicalities of my faith and the clarity with which I could express that in writing. Doubt slowly crept over me during those long weeks, and most nights I could be found sitting at my desk trying to grasp what it is I truly believe and how to put that into words. The more I tried to think, the more I started to wonder if I actually believed what I was writing. I grappled with the serious examination of what I had always assumed I believed as I considered each topic before me. Suddenly I felt numb as if nothing made sense anymore, and I wondered if I could honestly claim my faith to be true. And when finally faced with the resurrection and the risen Christ, I doubted the validity of the story. It suddenly seemed incomprehensible that something so unbelievable could be real. That dark winter month, I encountered the deep challenge of sudden hesitation as I faced the unexplainable mystery of my faith. Periods of doubt are common among people of faith. The Easter message does not ring true 365 days out of the year. Time goes on day after day, yet we are often unmoved and unfeeling. It may be easy to say, I believe in God, but deep down in our hearts, we wonder if we actually believe it all the time. When difficult situations arise, such as a death or any type of life-altering event, we wonder how and where God is present. It's natural to question if God is even listening 
especially when trying to make sense of seemingly impossible circumstances and convictions of the heart. Confidence wanes and uncertainty takes control. In these moments and spells of skepticism, we frequently keep these fears and feelings tucked away deep inside of us, hesitant to express our lingering confusion. Occasionally, we're caught in a routine in which comfort is felt in certainty, knowledge, and factual information. To challenge or question belief and faith raises hesitation and can even lead to doubt. To confront traditional practices and thought in order to get a better understanding of why certain customs are done in a specific way may seem unfaithful. Yet, honest inquiry and healthy doubt in the midst of an authentic community are the most faithful acts and faith-filled examinations of what it means to be children of God in an ever-changing world. In his Haggadah, the Jewish text that describes the order of the Passover Seder, Elie Wiesel asks the question, what is most appealing about the Seder? To which he answers, it's challenge to children to ask questions. On this evening, all questions are not only permitted, but invited. On the first night of Passover just a few weeks ago, I sat at a large table in the company of friends and new acquaintances to enjoy together a Seder meal. Invited by a friend, I felt honored to be part of this tradition, and especially honored that any question, no matter how seemingly small or insignificant, could be asked and discussed over shared food and wine. I did ask questions and I intently listened to the responses and eagerly joined in the conversation surrounding the history of the Passover. Each course and type of food signified a part of the story, a history and teaching lesson in which to learn and live. The ritualistic tradition of eating, reclining, celebrating, and conversing over stories of faith and God's deliverance of an oppressed people offered a glimpse into the deep faith of my Jewish friends and their reliance on God's continued blessings in their lives. The Seder is more than a meal. It's an encounter with God and God's people in which any questions, doubts, confusion, and curiosity can be addressed openly and honestly in the presence of a community and the divine. It's an invitation for the community to experience God in new ways as it does year after year. The Passover is a time to remember the struggles of the Israelites and God's response to their cries for help. God used Moses to prove how much is possible through God. And during the Seder meal, hope and possibility are remembered and celebrated. Wiesel notes that each song, each gesture, each cup of wine, each prayer, each silence is part of the evening's spell. The goal is to arouse our curiosity by opening the doors of memory. This time of year is all about memory. For those of us living in the New England area, spring is a gentle reminder that the long, dark days of winter do not last forever. The pink blossoms on the trees evoke hope for future color and life on the ground and in the sky. The extended warmth of the sun spreads within us as our skin glows with vivacity. Two weeks ago, our feet were washed, the altar stripped. Jesus' last words echoed through our hearts and minds. The Christ candle was lit over a basin of leaping flames in the dark silence behind the chapel. And finally, the good news of the resurrection was proclaimed in singing, fanfare, and speech. The celebration of the empty tomb year after year is a powerful memory that offers hope. 
And even though you and I were not first-hand witnesses to the risen Christ, we do remember. Today, it's necessary to be reminded of what is possible. Celebrations like Easter are important because they remind us of God taking impossible situations and making good out of them. These days of remembrance allow us to pause and question, to take inventory of our doubts and and disbelief in order to stretch and grow. As Michael Jenkins, president of Louisville Presbyterian Theological Seminary said in the most recent issue of the Christian Century, it is appropriate that belief issues forth from doubt. At the very least, belief and doubt are not opposites. They are intimately related responses in those who are actually paying attention to the amazing acts of God among us. In our disbelief, feelings of separation and helplessness arise, yet God opens up our hearts and minds to new ways of thinking and acting, so long as we're willing to accept new challenges and seek answers to our questions among a faithful community. Perhaps we can learn from our Jewish sisters and brothers. Do we question enough? Is our curiosity alive and vibrant, seeking answers to the doubts and confusion often found lingering within our hearts surrounding our faith? Are we open to experiencing God in new ways? Do we candidly engage one another while searching for common ground? On a Friday night a couple months ago, I sat downstairs on the couch under Howard Thurman's portrait as I desperately tried to finish my theology paper. I felt confident about what I'd written, except for one area, and in that moment, Brother Larry walked in and sat down next to me. The couch in the Thurman room has housed many theological and ministerial conversations, and this evening was no exception. What happens after you die? I asked him. He took a deep breath, which was the beginning of a long and honest conversation about mystery, uncertainty, and ministry in the face of doubt. Neither of us came up with a concrete answer. How could we? Instead, we shared stories and thoughts as we wrestled with the mystery of the unknown. A couple weeks later, I sat before my ordination committee, all 20 members staring at me with my paper in their hand. I answered their questions like a well-oiled machine, ready for anything. Yet, when asked the same question I posed to Brother Larry, I stumbled. I did not have an answer. Finally, flabbergasted, I threw up my arms, laughed, and said, I don't know. After the meeting, my advisor took me aside and said that out of all my responses, this one was the most well-received by the committee. I was shocked. I didn't understand how the one question to which I couldn't reply was the one response they appreciated the most. I was humbled in that meeting as I came to understand that I will never be able to answer every question that is asked of me regarding my faith. God is mystery. The resurrection is miraculous. And I'm called to be a witness to that, just like the early disciples. A committee member said to me later, we're not in the business of answering questions. And we're not in the business of having all the answers. We're in the business of changing the world so that it reflects God's infinite love and grace while furthering the kingdom of God. My committee isn't interested in well-oiled machines. They're seeking human beings. We have to consider what is possible. And if we're honest and willing to accept that we don't have all the answers all the time, only then will our hearts be open to the realization that anything is possible through the power of God. Jesus turned the world upside down. 
Not only did he challenge the religious and political authorities during his lifetime, he also proved the power of God at work in the world through the resurrection. When those in authority tried to put a stop to Jesus' work of announcing and bringing the kingdom of God, he extinguished the darkness and lit up the world through new life and new possibilities. Jesus had an uncanny way of bringing people out of their comfort zones by confronting the religious and societal norms, and the disciples experienced this firsthand during Jesus' ministry on earth. And thinking they were seeing a ghost, they were well out of their comfort zones when Jesus appeared to them in bodily form after his death. The disciples could have responded in many different ways, yet they chose to humbly question and wonder, allowing Jesus to sit with them, eat, and finally reveal the mystery and meaning of the resurrection in its fullest measure. The stone before the tomb was rolled away, and what was once closed was now open. God has a way of opening the things that were once closed, and the disciples' eyes, ears, hearts, and minds burst forth with a new comprehension that they could have never imagined. For so long they wrestled with recognizing who Jesus truly was and his ultimate purpose. And finally, they not only encountered the living Christ, but they fully experienced him through touch, sight, and conversation. As Jesus told his story and revealed the meaning of the scriptures, the disciples' minds were suddenly aware of the message and the reality of the living Christ. And from that place of fear, disbelief, and immobilizing doubt, the disciples took hold of their newfound hope and spread the message as witnesses to the good news. Now, two centuries later, we too are called to be witnesses of the resurrection and the gospel message. We are to be God-bearers to those we meet along the way. A part of that message is to consider what is possible. Jesus lived a life that reflected anything is possible, and through his death and resurrection, the disciples were suddenly aware of that reality. The disciples had to adjust to a drastic change of events and life-altering way of living and being in the world, a way that was very new and very challenging for them. What had once seemed like an impossible situation unexpectedly became the most promising message of hope as the disciples shifted their focus and thinking to new ways of expressing the good news of the gospel they so recently had experienced. The world changes at a rapid pace and human beings are constantly evolving as new discoveries are made and new thoughts and ideas uncovered. Today is Earth Day, a time to remember and appreciate the Earth and its natural resources. What began over 40 years ago as hopeful means of raising awareness to the fact that we need to be faithful stewards has now become a global effort to reverse the negative effects of some of our choices and practices. And on Friday, the lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, and queer community commemorated the National Day of Silence in order to make it known that bullying and harassment of LGBTQ youth continues day after day, and it must be stopped. Days like this start with the realization that changes need to be made, and they continue because of the collective and faithful hope that things will eventually get better. A vision for what is possible remains strong, despite the fears and doubts that try to suffocate those working towards justice and peace. Yet, if there is one thing we can learn from the gospel lesson today, it's that anything truly is possible. Jesus died, was buried, and came back to life. This is the truth of the Easter message, where hope is found and where death and darkness do not have the last word. 
From death back to life, Jesus appeared to the disciples. A friend who knows me and my work in the ministry, who also knows me aside from my work, that I'm educated, think critically and rationally in most situations, approach decisions logically, yet also have a sense of humor, recently asked me, doesn't it seem far-fetched that someone could die, then come back to life like Jesus supposedly did? Yes, it seems absurd that the foundation of my faith is based on someone rising from the dead, a belief that can't be proven by science or accounted for historically. Yet I believe in what is logically and scientifically impossible. Yes, I agreed with her. It does sound crazy. But the mystery of faith is often unexplainable. I realize that what's firmly rooted inside of me is a faith of hopeful possibilities based on the lived experiences of the gospel message and those yet to be discovered. First John conveys to us that we are children of God. And through my work with the LGBTQ community and the church, I strive to remind folks of this truth. I encourage them to learn from the past and remember how far we've come as a community, to remain hopeful for the future, to challenge the places of inequality and injustice, and to keep open hearts and open minds, because with a humble spirit and God's help, anything is possible. Michael Jenkins further noted in his article that witnesses to the good news of the gospel, if they are trustworthy witnesses, bear in themselves the tracks of their own pilgrimage of faith, a faith that more often than not involves some terror and some surprise, some disbelieving and some wonder, much like the faith of the first disciples. May we learn not to fear doubt, but to embrace it, not to limit what is possible, but to remember the hope of the resurrection, and not to hesitate to challenge our practices and beliefs, but to allow God to open us up to what unexpected opportunities still remain for God's grace and love to be revealed. Amen.
The peace of the Lord be always with you. Please be seated. We greet you once again this morning here in the nave of Marsh Chapel, and we would invite you to help us help you get to know one another better and help you get connected here at Marsh Chapel throughout the coming week by putting your name and contact information in the red books found along the center aisle of each pew and passing that along to your neighbor so that we can get to know them as well. We welcome particularly this morning our four readers of the service, four of our campus ministers here at Boston University. Uh, they are Stephen Bowtry from Sojourn Campus Ministry, Melissa Ellis from Real Life Christian Fellowship, Meredith Beaton from InterVarsity Christian Fellowship, and Thomas Vanderlaan from Chi Alpha. We thank them for their leadership this morning and their presence with us. Now with a special announcement from the music department, our director of music, Dr. Scott Allen Jarrett. Good morning and Easter greetings to you all. I have three announcements to share with you, to call your attention to. The first, if you were present in the nave before the service began today, uh, you heard uh, Joshua Rohde playing two movements from Haydn Cello Concerto, accompanied by Justin Blackwell on the piano. Uh, Joshua is one of our conducting, one of our three conducting fellows here at the Chapel Choir and as a master's student in conducting at Boston University. This afternoon, he will present with Justin a recital at three o'clock, which we invite you to, where he will play the full Haydn Concerto plus a Shostakovich Sonata and one of the Bach cello suites. It's three o'clock this afternoon. We invite you to attend and support Joshua and the many talents uh, in the chapel choir with both Joshua and Justin. His family are here today and we greet them and welcome them from Minnesota. Nice to see you. The second announcement has to do with a week from today, next Sunday, and that's to remind you that the fourth and final installment of our Bach Experience series occurs next Sunday with the uh, performance of Bach's Cantata 172, Erschalat Ihr Lieder. As always, the Chapel Choir and the Collegium and I will be present here in the nave at 9.45 to lead in a public discussion and deconstruction of the musical materials to aid and, uh, and support our hearing and understanding of the, of the piece. The full cantata will be presented in the context of the liturgy in the 11 o'clock hour and available for those who wish, wish to listen by radio. The final announcement is about the piece you're about to hear. Uh, there was no first anthem this morning, and we elected to use the full time allotted for music to this moment at the offertory for the presentation of Benjamin Britten's festival anthem, Rejoice in the Lamb. Um, it, the full text is printed on the centerfold of your bulletin and is available online for those listening by the internet. And I wish to just share a little bit about uh, the piece with you because it's one of our favorite pieces, but at first glance, it seems a little strange. Um, the text uh, Britain discovered uh, is by Christopher Smart, who was an 18th century translator and poet, and seems to have been deeply religious, and so deeply religious that he was committed to various asylums late in life uh, for his religious zealotry. Uh, but regardless, we find wonder wonderful delight in the text that he's written here. The uh, cantata is made up of 10 short sections. The first uh, sets, uh, sets the theme and the tone, and the second, printed in the bulletin, gives a few examples of one person after another being summoned from the pages of the Old Testament to join with some creatures in praising and rejoicing God. The third is a quiet and ecstatic hallelujah. And the fourth section, uh, sung by soprano Margot Rood, the fourth section, Christopher Smart takes his beloved cat as an example of nature praising God by being simply what the Creator intended it to be. 
The same thought is carried through the fifth section with the illustration of the mouse, sung by Jared Pagenkov today. The sixth section speaks of the flowers, quote unquote, the poetry of Christ. That section is sung by Andrew Schryock, our tenor. In the seventh section, Smart refers to his troubles, his mental sufferings. Um, but even these are an occasion for the praising of God, for it is through Christ that he will find his deliverance. In the eighth section, sung by Graham Wright, our bass, there are four letters from the alphabet, uh, and each of these lead to a full chorus in section nine, which speaks of musical instruments and music's praise of God. And the final section is a repeat of the hallelujah, which you heard toward the beginning. Um, the piece and its text are wonderfully quirky and delightful and eccentric, and they call to mind the possibility of grace for each of us, as in our text for the day and our preacher's message for the day, and our dean's constant invitations to uh, the search and quest and openness for God's grace. And I hope you will find in these texts from Christopher Smart and in their setting by Benjamin Britten a wonderful occasion to meditate on the grace and the possibility of every creature's availability and openness to God. Thank you, Scott. Before we conclude, we would note one other opportunity, and that is that tomorrow evening at 7.30 p.m., that is Monday, uh, April 23rd, in the College of Arts and Sciences, Marsh Chapel is co-sponsoring with a number of other departments of the university, a panel on sex, violence, and religion. Uh, the panelists include Dr. Jennifer Canoose from the School of Theology, our Catholic chaplain here at BU, uh, Father John McLaughlin, and our Episcopal chaplain, Reverend Dr. Cameron Partridge. Uh, we hope you will be able to join us. Again, that's tomorrow evening, Monday, April 23rd at 7.30 p.m. in the College of Arts and Sciences, room B12, the panel on sex, violence, and religion. As we move to the time of our offering, we invite you to meditate on Rejoice in the Lamb by Benjamin Britten. Now walk in love as Christ loves us, an offering and sacrifice to God.
Of his personal hallow, 
give you thanks, O God, this day for life and health and peace. Bless these gifts and those who have given them for the building up of the people of God and the service of the world. Amen. Now, friends, may God's Holy Spirit lead you. May God's strength protect you. May God's peace be with you. Go now in the name of God, by the grace of Christ, and with the presence of the Holy Spirit. Amen.